This is a Whole Observatory podcast. Hello and welcome to Star Stuff. Uh, this is Haley Osborne today. I am filling in for Cody Halfmoon as your host, and I am joined by our Lowell educator, Matt Lighty. Hello, everyone. So it is just the two of us on this podcast today, and we are super excited to do this episode. We've been planning it for quite some time. (laughs) Um, And uh, today we are going to discuss the movies WALL-E, Treasure Planet, Passengers, Sunshine, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. So we're going to talk about a couple of uh, different topics that are involved in these movies, including robots, life in space, uh, dying stars and black holes, all kinds of stuff. So it's going to be a good time. Are you guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. I'm so ready. Been waiting like three months for this. I know. We have had this planned and we've had to reschedule so many times, Um, but we're really, really excited. And also when I said, are you guys ready for this? I really hope whoever's listening to this was like, yeah, I am. Let's talk about some movies. Let's talk about some movies. So we're just going to jump right into the topic that I personally feel uh, makes the most sense. We're going to start talking about robots in the movie WALL-E. So Matt, if you want to start us off, go ahead. Yeah. So WALL-E, ha- or, yeah, Wally has so many great robots. Um, the main two being being WALL-E and Eva. Um, Eva. As Eva. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... I feel like one of the more common questions around Wally would be, are these robots that we're ever going to see? Are these robots that we're going to see in the next decade, in the in the next century, in ex- in the next millennia? Um, I would say, in terms of, so let's start with Wally. Wally's a, a trash compacting robot. I actually learned today that Wally um, is a, it stands for something. Wally stands for Waste Allocation Load Lifter Earth Class. I love that. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, But I'd say Wally, in terms of a robot being used to compact trash, I'd say that is something that that uh, that could exist in the near future. Um, The part of Wally that becomes a little unrealistic is when the robots start to have sentient feelings. You know, I hope I'm not spoiling this for anyone, but Wally came out years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but Wally and Eva fall in love and no, uh, yeah. So cute. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. a little unrealistic. Um, I agree mostly, um, with the, like them feeling emotions. Um, but have you read about that? Um, the super advanced robot, I think her name's like Sophia, and she can like recognize emotions. She so can I think emotion. I think we're getting kind of close. But to... is, she, is she programmed to recognize emotion, or is this something that she's like oh, actively you know learning what? on her own? That's true. That's true. She was programmed that way. So you know what? I think you might be right. So it it'll probably be a hot minute. I'd say maybe maybe within the next millennia but like 
even that is kind of kind of soon, you know? I mean, I just I don't know if that's something that's even attainable to have sentience in in robots. Um just yeah. because of, of the programming and things like that. But but maybe. Um Yeah, I'm just saying that. like if we come up with some like brand new tech that can do that, mm-hmm. then that would be cool. But um yeah, nothing like that exists currently and I don't see us uh, being able to do that anytime soon. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll have an a- AI uprising. Right. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we did want to bring up, or well, I wanted to bring up, you know, uh, which robots in this movie do you think are most achievable? Yeah. So this movie has a ton of really cool robots. Um, I'd argue that, Wally and Eva aren't even the coolest robots in the movie. Yeah, um, true. So you have all these robots that are freed from like this robot prison because they have defects. Um, and we see robots that are like used to to paint and to do art. Yeah. I think that's like r- really cool. I actually listened to another podcast the other day. I believe it's How to Be a Better Human. Uh, um, and on the podcast, it was it was talking about how to like find success in what's becoming a more automated world. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the guest on the show was talking about how he, he was a writer for uh, like the New York times. And he would talk about, he would write about stock market and things like that. Yeah. He was mentioning that there is a a AI system that uh, you can plug in some, some data, some details, and this AI system will essentially write a post about the state of the stock market. And it's a, a pretty, believable like readable article Um, and I and he was like yeah at first like I thought I would never be in the realm of being replaced by robots because you know I'm I'm doing art I'm I'm writing articles I'm 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 using using literature um but even that is is potentially becoming automated um so I think in terms of like having like an art robot um and Wally I think that's something that yeah might happen yeah. Um, in their new future, we already have robots that are like, you know, they'll read a, a paper and they'll choose the most number of words and make it the largest um, piece of word on this piece of art. And then uh, as you go to lower and lower numbers of words, um, the words get smaller in this piece of art. And you get this cool True. abstract um, like way yeah. of interpreting a paper through a piece of the art. The one I've well, been thinking about is the autopilot. Because if you really think about it, like, yes, he takes over the ship, but it's because he's following orders. You know, it's because he's following something that someone like programmed into him. So I feel like that's actually kind of achievable, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, cause autopilots, I mean, they already exist. And then just adding in this extra like, oh, yeah don't ever come back to earth. Like, I feel like, I feel like that's something that could potentially exist. Like almost even like now, like I'm saying like in the next decade, you know? Yeah. Cause that robot isn't making an active decision. It's not using its emotions to make that decision. It was programmed to, to do that. So exactly. Yeah, same with Mo, the little cleaner robot, because yeah. there's like the really cute scene where uh, Wally and Eve are about to get ejected into space and he like holds the doors open. Mm-hmm. But it's because he's trying to get to Wally to clean him, you know, so he's like following his primary objective, but he just so happens to save them. Now, towards the end, that's a little a little different. Like he he kind of goes off into a more 
like emotional state like Wally and Eve. But um, up until that point, I'd say that type of robot is, I mean, it's basically just a fancy, um, it's basically just a fancy Roomba, you know? <laughs> yeah, fancy vacuum cleaner. Yeah, did uh-huh. you know MO actually stands for something as well? It's what an it acronym for? for microbe obliterator. Oh, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And EVA also stands for something. It's extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator. I did know that one. Yeah. That one I did know. The other ones are new to me, though. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cool robots. Uh, the, the painter robot that I was mentioning earlier, its name is Van Gogh or Vin Gogh which is pretty cool. And then in the movie, there's a a scene where the the humans are sitting in their little floaty chairs um, and they're playing golf through the robots. Um, And the golf robot's name is actually Birdie, which I thought was pretty cool too. Um, Oh, cute. Yeah. I love that. So yeah, I'd say like most of the robots in WALL-E before they start exhibiting like emotions are fairly achievable. Yeah. I don't know about Eve. She's got that like super but, advanced weapon system. She hovers yeah. all of that. Like, I think that's a little, a little bit of a stretch, but like the autopilot, uh, Mo, even like Wally as a trash compactor, like we have trash compactors. All we would really need to do is make them independent. So I feel like even that would be pretty achievable soon. Um, it's just the whole like, developing feelings thing that kind of throws a wrench into that and who knows computer learning has gone like a long way in the even like the past five years so yeah so yeah we might be able able to have self-thinking robots yeah speaking of self-thinking robots what did you think of uh in treasure planet ben the robot that like lost his mind because uh uh, the pirate captain like ripped it out of his head. What do you think about him? Like yeah, how, how soon? <laughs> yeah. Soon. So, I mean, I feel like Ben's kind of along a similar line. Um, he definitely has more human characteristics. I mean, he walks like a human mm-hmm. um, and he talks a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd say similar lines. We We could program robots to hold conversations with us, but to have them start yeah. developing their own conversation, their own thought, um, mm-hmm. similar to to Eva and and Wally, do not know how long it would take to to create that sentience. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, and I I've been thinking about like the cyborgs in that movie, um, and like we currently have like prosthetics, right? Mm-hmm. And so the cyborgs in that movie they have just like upgraded prosthetics you know like like um the main cyborg you know he he can turn his arm into like a blaster or a knife or something like that so i feel like that's basically just like a utility knife mixed with a prosthetic so i feel like as soon as we find a way to combine those two um i don't know how feasible it is for him to have like the fancy eyeball or uh, the fact that his prosthetic can just like change when he thinks about it instead of like physically having to like move it. Um, But I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we've also come a long way with prosthetics in the last five to 10 years with development of robotics and things like that. So yeah, I feel like there are already like, say you 
I mean, I'm not the most knowledgeable on this, but say you lose an arm. I'm pretty sure there's uh, robotic arms now where you can actually have it attached to your nervous system in some way so that you can, you know, move the fingers using your brain on this prosthetic arm. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that's that's pretty cyborg-y. Um, it depends on how you de- define cyborg. But yeah. Um, as for like the fancy eye, I know there are already like contact lenses that have screens in them and things like that. So. Oh, you know, that's I mean, true. Yeah. It's not a com- like you're not completely replacing your eye, but you're yeah. enhancing your eye using using engineering well, and go ahead. and that's the thing is like his i i'm pretty sure is like a fake eye so it wouldn't be just like a contact lens you would have mm-hmm. to make like a fake working eye yeah. which i don't know how feasible that is i don't know how much like research is being done on it so i'm not sure how long i would say that would take i think it's feasible in the next 100 to 200 years yeah I'd say that's a good estimate, yeah. Yeah, with with like bioengineering. Yeah, it just depends on how you define cyborg. True. Like it's a cyborg, true. like you're like half machinery, or is it less than half, more than half? Yeah, you know, that's fair. Um, I feel like personally I would define it as anyone who has – like advanced machinery, you know? So like if somebody just has a prosthetic leg, I don't think I would necessarily consider them a cyborg unless that's like what they want to be considered as. But but like if that, if like, let's say it's an arm, you know, if that arm could like change into a knife or something, then I, I could call that a cyborg, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like a, a little leather man at the end of your, your arm. That'd be pretty cool. Exactly. (laughs) And I think out of all the movies we're talking about today, the most feasible robots are the ones in Passengers. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I I watched Passengers like five, six years ago, and I really only remember the main robot. I think his name was Arthur. He was like the bartending robot. Yeah. Yeah, I think he is a little... uh, a little difficult, like he would be a difficult one that would probably take a bit of time, but like the little cleaning robots and everything, those are mm-hmm. literally just Roombas. Like we already have those. Um, so I'd say like, yes and no, they're, they're like very feasible because Arthur's a, a tough one. Cause he was programmed to be like a bartender, you know, to like listen to your problems and offer solutions, which I guess a lot of what he did is, logical which is uh-huh. kind of what computers excel at so um you know maybe if uh that robot we were talking about sophia if she starts um getting really like um she doesn't talk a ton yet so if they can like put in more vocabulary and have her talk a little more i'd say that'd be pretty close to what arthur did in passengers yeah, and I feel like Arthur, like you said, he's he's a logical bot. He also doesn't do a lot of his own content creation. It's yeah. more of responding to input. And I feel like that is yeah. a lot more attainable than, say, yeah, Wally um, or Ben, where they're creating their own content. Um, yeah. Arthur's just responding to, I forget what the, the main character's name is. Uh, it's Chris Pratt. Uh, um, oh, 
Uh, well, his complaints, his his needs. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I'd say he's pretty attainable, uh, just because like he is just responding to what. Um, oh my God, what is his name? Yeah, look it up. I'm like, I'm desperately trying to think. I know her name is Aurora. So he's responding to Aurora as well. Um, Which also, I love that they called her Aurora because, like, Sleeping Beauty, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he, like, woke her up and everything. I liked that parallel there. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, His name is Jim Preston in the movie. Jim, right. Jim. Yeah, so he's, like, answering to their input. So I'd say. That's fairly feasible. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. Compared to like Ben, Wally, and Eva, I'd say of those yeah. those four robots, I'd say Arthur is the most attainable. But we do have one more robot that we need to mm-hmm. talk about. And that is, of course, Al in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. So I first want to mention that Space Odyssey was a wild movie. I was not. Mm-hmm. It's one of those classics that, you know, you've heard, I've heard about for a while, but had never watched until recently. Yeah. And Same. yeah, I I was not expecting that. I mean, there was no dialogue for like the first 30 minutes of the movie. Right. A lot of very dramatic scenes. So uh, very, very unique, interesting movie. Um, but yeah, Al um, is kind of similar to um, the AI in WALL-E Auto, mm-hmm. the autopilot, yeah. um, where uh, he's programmed to get these astronauts um, out to, what is it, Jupiter, Saturn? I, I forget which of the, the gas giants they. It's Saturn. Um, but anyway, there's believed to be a, a monolith out, um, out. We'll say Saturn, out near Saturn. Um, so they're traveling out to go examine this monolith, um, and Al is supposed to check in with the crew, make sure that they're staying sane, things like that. And while they're talking to Al, Al has this very like calm, monotone human voice, mm-hmm. um, very logical. Um, but then Al starts to go a little haywire he he uh actually kills one of the crew members while they're out on a a spacewalk um and then he traps the other one outside and this is because the the crew members um they were talking about al and and his i don't know i don't want to say lack of sanity but his yeah lack of of logical decisions Mm -hmm. um and they were saying that they were going to shut down al and al watched the two while they were talking um and read their lips um, and decided that he was going to try and, and kill these two two astronauts. And yeah. that that is not what a non-sentient robot would do that's programmed. Yeah. It's, it's, its main um, purpose is to get these astronauts out to Saturn, and it ends up killing all but one of the astronauts. So I'd say <laughs> due, due to its hurt feelings on on uh, a bad line of logic. So... Yeah. yeah, I would say that uh, that is unrealistic in, in that sense. But I do find it interesting that like monotone, logical AI voice is present in a lot of like sci-fi movies I've watched. Mm-hmm. I think um, they all drew from 2001 A Space Odyssey because mm-hmm. it was just such a like uh, staple in the sci-fi genre, you know? Yeah, that would make sense. Like the one I'm thinking right now is Interstellar with the two main yeah. robots in that. Like very similar, like vocal tones like mo- like solid monotone calm logical um yeah it's very analogous but 
Totally. And um, I looked it up. It's actually Jupiter. If we were wrong. It's Jupiter, darn. <laughs> it's Jupiter. <laughs> okay, okay. We had a 50-50 chance and we we lost. <laughs> we guessed wrong. Yeah. I was too distracted by all the other crazy things going on. Right. Yeah. So um, that's all I really wanted to talk about with robots. You know, like um, I'd say, um, what would you rank like most possible to least possible out of these four movies? Um, I would say, oh, right. I would say Wally most most probable outside of Wally and Eva. I don't think Wally yeah. and Eva are that probable, but yeah, all of the task robots, I'd say, are are very likely to to come up in in the the near future. Um, and then hmm, next, I'd probably go with Passengers. Uh, then I'd go 2001: Space Odyssey, and then in with Bin in Treasure Planet. Yeah. I agree with that. I I might switch um, Passengers and Wally. Say Passengers is more accessible, just because of like how far we've come with Sophia and mm-hmm. with the cleaning robots being basically just fancy looking Roombas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just as like all of the um, robots, but if we were going off of like which movie has the most probable robot, I would say Wally's first. Yeah. So um, let's move on to talking about life in space. And I know you were uh, really excited to talk about Wally in this context. So do you want to go ahead and start us off with Wally? Yeah. So I wanted to address a couple things in or like a couple scenes in Wally where I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Um, mm-hmm. One is this main idea where you have humans that have been out in space for 700 plus years. Um, all the humans in the movie are flying around on these floating um, chairs and they're all very, very uh, overweight. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see in a later scene, the captain like tries to step out of the chair and he can barely stand up. Um, And yeah, this is, this is something that happens when humans go to space. There's no gravity. So you're not using your muscles to fight against gravity, to stand up and things like that. So over time you'll, you'll lose your muscle. Um, so like when astronauts go up to the International Space Station, uh, they'll have to work out for an hour, hour and a half every day to retain this muscle. Um, and it's yeah. pretty neat. I don't know if you've ever seen um, videos or images of these, but like when they're running on the treadmill, they have to strap themselves down so that yeah. way they can actually stay on the treadmill and not float away <laughs> from it. Um, yeah. So I thought that was uh, that was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, I imagine at the end of the movie they fly back to Earth. I imagine that would be quite a uh, quite a drastic change in, in gravity, and I imagine they would take a little while for their their hearts and muscles and bodies to get used to to gravity again. Yeah, I feel like a lot of them may have ended up with some like major medical issues just <laughs> yeah. due to how different the gravity is. Yeah, um, I was <laughs> I was like they they found that there's life still on earth and they're like we're going to immediately go back to earth and land and i was like that's probably a not a good decision <laughs> yeah like you need to train for that you mm-hmm. know um cuz like i think the ship has artificial gravity but i don't think it's as strong as earth's gravity so yeah mm-hmm. yeah and they were sitting in chairs for for a long time so yeah so i thought that was cool i also really enjoyed there's a scene where Wally and Eva gets are like out in space. I forget what the the reason is, but they're just outside the the giant spacecraft that all the humans are on. Um, and Wally, 
um, has no means of propelling himself. Eva has like boosters built in mm-hmm. into her, her robotic body so she can use those. Um, but Wally's kind of just floating through space, but he comes across a fire extinguisher. Um, and he ends up using this fire extinguisher to fly through space, which I thought was really cool because that's kind of how rockets work. Um, so this fire extinguisher, it's going to shoot out fire retardant um, one direction. And due to it's Newton's third law, um, an equal and opposite reaction is going to happen. So Wally's going to get propelled the opposite direction. So if he shoots fire retardant to the left, he's going to fly off to the right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a, a really cool um, scene. It's also super beautiful on mountain space. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really like that scene too. That was very accurate physics. It made me happy. I agree. I think it was really cute the way he was like using the fire extinguisher. It looked like so much fun. I was like, man, I want to do that. But I know that that was that would probably not be a great idea. I mean, like if you think about it, um, it's kind of similar to like um, when uh, in the Martian, Mark Watney like mm-hmm. rips open his spacesuit and he has like basically no control. I feel like that would also be similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the end of the Martian was was a little wild, but yes, it's uh, yeah a similar thing. I mean, maybe one day you'll be able to go up to space with a fire extinguisher and try it, but. That would be yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, I would do it while still being like on a tether to the spacecraft. Because Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you would just fly off into space never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one thing that I was really excited to talk about is um, the life in space on, um, in Treasure Planet. Because mm-hmm. they have like literal ships that they send out into space. Yeah, you know? space, spaceships. They took that... Yeah, they took it literally in, in, the, in, in the literal sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I just absolutely loved. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of difficulties that come with that. So they must be like very, very advanced civilizations uh, because you would have to have the artificial gravity that they had, right? Um, that mm-hmm. they were showing on there. Um, you would also have to have some sort of like atmosphere shield. You would have to have some source of oxygen or something like that uh, because they're they're not in spacesuits. They're just on this ship, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really know like where that ends. Like, does it end at the very top of all the masts? Is it like a... A pyramid shape you know what I mean so um not really sure how that would work out uh one gripe that I do have with Treasure Planet that I have with a lot of sci-fi movies like Star Wars and Star Trek is no matter what planet they're on they can all breathe fine even though they're all different species you know so like I think about that a lot, how it's like, okay, how does every single creature out there, regardless of what they look like, what planet they come from, how do they all breathe the exact same? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Treasure Planet had a lot of uh, a lot of moments where I was like, how, how? Like they have the the map that opens up these portals to, to different worlds. I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, interesting. So like they're right? able to create wormholes here. And then, yeah, the... The treasure planet that they go to is they they have to go to the center of the planet to like access the treasure and i feel like the gravity would be so weird there like yeah. when you're on the on the surface of the planet it would be like it would be like gravity here on earth but once you go to the core of a planet i don't even know how that would work it would be weird to have the the rest of the planet around you no i totally agree i feel like that would be kind of odd 
So like, um, um, one of my gripes with, um, I'm just gonna like throw in passengers here, um, is the artificial gravity on the ship. Like Mm -hmm. we have no technology to do that as of right now. Um, I don't even know how far away that kind of tech is. So, um, I'd say like, that's one of the more, um, unattainable things about passengers but like when they turn off the artificial gravity that was a really cool scene because i was like yeah that's pretty much what would happen you know yeah so the artificial gravity to my knowledge on that ship is created by the the ship spinning and using centripetal force to to create that gravity because we do have to spin so fast though it would have to it would have to be spinning so fast to create that kind of gravity we actually uh talked about this on a previous episode when john compton was on Ah, and we were like yeah no like that spacecraft would have to be spinning so Mm -hmm. ridiculously fast to have any sort of artificial gravity that you could like walk around normally um i don't know how healthy that is for a human body first off um, and second off like i just don't even know how you could uh, main, maintain that for so long you know because their trip was taking what like a hundred years or something like that yeah when so when they lost gravity the ship stopped spinning and that wouldn't happen immediately either so like something i i have this is the movie i haven't watched in many years but it's spinning and then something breaks the power shuts off or something and the ship stops spinning well, it wouldn't stop spinning immediately because it has a lot of momentum, like yeah. this, this thing called angular momentum. So it would keep spinning for a while. So they wouldn't go instantly from from having gravity, having this rotation to it's, it's stopping because um, there's nothing out in space to slow it down. There's no air yeah. resistance or anything like that. So I think it would keep spinning essentially forever. But for the sake Pretty of the much. movie, it, it, uh, it stops. And then, yeah, you have these cool scenes of anti-gravity where mm-hmm. – uh, Aurora or Jennifer Lawrence is in this pool and this pool of water goes up and forms this essentially, essentially like giant droplet. And like, she doesn't even know what direction to swim out because what Mm -hmm. direction is up then there's no gravity pulling you down. So I thought, no. And it was just like, it was so, um, like if, if everything stopped that abruptly, you would be flung across the ship. (laughs) Like you, you would fly across that ship, you know? So it'd be um, like a a car accident. Yeah. You'd be traveling mm -hmm. super quick and then you just stop. It'd be way worse than a car accident because it's spinning so fast, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I thought that was kind of interesting and just like, okay. (laughs) But yeah. Um, so that's life in space for you. Um, I think like currently, um, with the way life in space is going, I don't think any of these are realistic, you know, like passengers has the hibernation pods. Like that is, that is years, hundreds, thousands of years out of our reach. You know, I feel like that's something that's used in a lot of sci-fi, um, that, yeah, I don't know if we're any, we're close to attaining at all. Yeah. Putting people in these pods for exactly so i'd say like i couldn't even rank these on what's most possible versus what's least possible because i feel like they're all pretty much on par as being not possible as of right now and i, I don't see them being possible anytime soon either <laughs> yeah treasure planet no wally no passengers no 
Um, 2001 Space Odyssey is actually kind of realistic because they take several True. months to get out to, to Jupiter and like they talk about airlocks and things like that. So that's fairly yeah. realistic. I mean, we haven't really talked about Sunshine yet, but Sunshine, they're on the spacecraft um, going towards the sun. The idea behind the movie is they're going to send a giant nuclear bomb into the sun. And we'll talk about that in a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, they essentially have this giant sun shield so that people so that their spacecraft doesn't get burned by all the solar radiation. And I think that's kind of realistic too. So, you know, um, that's I've, fair. Yeah. Yeah. I totally like, I left them out of this category. Cause when I first made it, I was thinking like living in space rather yeah. than just like traveling in space. But if we're talking about traveling in space, I'd say, um, they're probably fairly realistic. Um, Spoiler alert, everybody, um, I actually have never seen Sunshine, so I'm going to re rely heavily on what Matt says. He could tell me something totally false, and I would <laughs> just believe it. So. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to the next one. Um, this is something that I'm pretty interested in, um, is holograms. So holograms have been a big part of a lot of sci-fi movies. And um, a couple of the ones uh, that we're talking about, Wally and Treasure Planet, they both have uh, some pretty significant holograms, right, on the ship. Wally has the like screens that are in front of people's faces. Treasure Planet, literally, like, the map that takes you to Treasure Planet is a hologram. Um, and so I wanted to talk about um, how achievable these types of holograms might be be yeah. so uh do you have one you would want to start with yeah so the screens in wally so the screens in wally are these curved screens in front of the the people's face faces essentially so that they're always looking at it um and never look away mm -hmm. um and i mean think about the technology we have today we already have curved screens mm -hmm. um now these screens when you look at them they're almost like see-through and that reminds me of maybe something am I forgetting the word right now? The fiber optics. Um, it uh, almost yeah. reminds me of like a fiber optical screen where you're having these, these lasers and lights that are bouncing around inside the screen and, and producing an image. Um, and fiber optics are, it's, they're essentially these cables that um, can contain light inside of them. So you, um, if you've ever heard of like fiber optic internet, um, you're essentially sending a, a light signal through these cables to your, your computer, um, and and that's how you're getting internet with these these fiber optical systems. So, yeah, um, yeah. I'm actually I, really glad you brought that up. That's actually what I did my research in for like three years was nice. fiber optics. Well, I'll let you um, talk about it more then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like you would need so many of those cables to be able to achieve what they did on Wally. Mm -hmm. um, just because like most of those cables, uh, depending on what frequency of light you're putting in, most of them will spit out like a single light source, like a laser. That's what we were doing was like laser optics with it. Mm -hmm. Laser is a single point. So you would need so many to create a screen like that. Yeah. Now, I think that's if you pumped in the right type of light, you could get more than a single point. So you would need less of these fiber optics, but you would still need a lot of them. Um, 
But one thing that I did like about Wally is there's uh, a scene where Wally pulls on someone's screen and as soon as it opens, it like stops. Mm -hmm. And so it does need that circuit to be completed, right? To go from one end to the other, to be able to project to this screen, which um, I thought was fairly realistic. I mean, I don't think we're going to have these kinds of holograms anytime soon, but if we did, we would need something like that where it goes from point to point. Uh, Cause like, if you think about it, we've got things like projectors where you're just projecting the light, but it needs something uh, to hit in order exactly. to show. Yeah. And so um, it's similar, except it's like sideways, you know, instead of front facing. Yeah. Um, but it's still like, you, like I said, you would need, so many fiber optic cables to be able to do that and those headrest things are so small like i don't know if it's super achievable um i would have to like go into it and look at the math of it and everything but like (laughs) um i'd say like it is one of the more achievable holograms that i've seen yeah except for the fact that they are touch screens Mm. So yeah. the people were like touching them to, to move things around. That's not how that would work. You know, like if you were just looking at it, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are, I don't know if you've seen these before. There are these like uh, projected keyboards where you can oh, yeah, yeah. project a keyboard onto a surface and then it can look where you're putting your fingers on that projection and you can type on this keyboard. That's yeah, essentially just a, a pattern of light on, on a flat surface. So I I'm just thinking, don't know where they would put the sensor for it, you know? Yeah, I'd say that's a lot more attainable than the the hologram in Treasure Planet. Yeah. Because um, as you oh, said, yeah. you know, you send light out, light has to hit something um, or we can't really see it. And this hologram essentially just projects this, this sphere of light um, that's not bouncing off anything. So it's just like suspended light in air. And that's not yeah. really how how light works. So yeah, I, um, I have the exact same gripe with lightsabers. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> like there is nothing stopping them from just going forever. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I don't think the holograms on treasure planet are attainable like at all based off of the laws of physics. But, um, the ones in Wally, I think are attainable. It would just take a while, you know? Yeah. I, I've heard a theory where lightsabers can create a gravitational field around them that's so strong that it can bend light um, to that that shape. Huh. And I'm like, the gravitation that would have you'd have to have like a bl- almost you would have to have a like black a, hole. a black hole's mass around <laughs> this lightsaber to do that. But I, I enjoyed the theory for a moment. I was like, that's that's interesting. So maybe right? maybe the the hologram in a in a treasure planet. Uh, it suspends a gravitational field around them that bends the light back towards them so that they can see it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But that would be quite elaborate. <laughs> I know, right? And while we're on the topic of light, something I'm super interested in that I've done a bit of research in is actually faster than light travel. Mm-hmm. Um, which we see in both Wally and Passengers, I believe. Yep. Um, uh, I don't think in Passengers. I think, but in Wally for sure. I think I'm thinking of a different movie. Because yeah. Passengers, they're on that spacecraft and in hibernation chambers. Yes. Because they're 
they're obeying the laws of physics, not going too fast. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, um, I think why I put it on here is because they're traveling to this different um, star system and mm-hmm. it's going to take them a hundred years. Uh, but I didn't know how far away that star system was. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, like, if it is a hundred light years away, then they're going at the speed of light, which is just not not right. But when they're passing by that star, they don't seem to be going that fast. So I'm assuming that this star system is much closer. You know, no, maybe you're, like. You're- less than 10 light years away or something and i mean even then so the closest star to us is proxima centauri it's like what 4.2 light years away or something like that like that would take so long to get to like the farthest Mm -hmm. spacecraft we have right now are the voyager spacecrafts i think we sent voyager one out in like 1977 Mm -hmm. um and voyager one even though it's been traveling what is that 50 years almost um it's still not out of our solar system it's out in the oort cloud yeah Um, so I don't, well, it's didn't not, one it, of them leave the solar system recently, like just check. barely, unless I read something wrong, but I think one of them like just left the solar system. Well, it depends like, on within, how you define solar Within the solar last system, like year probably. or two. <laughs> I think it's like left the Oort cloud was okay. what they were saying in the article I was reading, but well, I could be wrong. They might still be in the Oort cloud. The Oort cloud can also vary depending on who you listen to some say that it travels out to like a light year away from us so this is true yeah um okay i don't think this is information that i'm going to be find be able <laughs> to find easily um, that's okay re- regardless we we sent spacecrafts out many years ago and they have not made it far in space at all so yeah space really big yeah, um, so but yeah I, they would have to be traveling like less than 10 light years away for them to be going less than the speed of light, which I think they are now that I'm thinking about it when they like passed by the star and everything. It didn't seem like they were going that fast. Um, yeah, I mean, if they so, were going yeah. faster than the speed of light or near it, they would just fly by the star. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure in the movie they get like a gravitational slingshot off of it. Um, and yeah. That's not something you would get if you just flew by it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also put it on here because I liked that they didn't break the faster than light travel when Jim tries to send his message back to Earth. Mm. They were like, oh, yeah, it's going to take this amount of time to get there. And so you expect expect a reply within it was like 50 years or something like that. You know, oh, I neat. really liked that they did that. Nice. Yeah, so I'd say this instantaneous communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it says, yeah, their trip, their journey is over ninety years. Yeah. So if they're even traveling that far, if it takes fifty years for them to get a message back, that means they're twenty-five light years away, right? Because it takes twenty-five light years for the message to get to Earth, and twenty-five years for it to get back. I think they were. um, I think it was ninety. Uh, years from when he woke up because I think he was asleep for like 10 or so years and then he woke up 90 years too early oh, okay okay yeah yeah so I think it was like a hundred year trip or something like that <laughs> but yeah I mean still like it was it was cool that they did that that they included like oh yeah even though we're sending this at the speed of light 
the speed of light is a fixed constant and it's not going to be instantaneous, you know? So I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah. um, the faster than light travel in Wally, however, um, <laughs> was interesting because it was very like Star Wars, Star Trek in the sense that like it was hyper speed mm-hmm. rather than using something like a wormhole. Um, but they got there like within a couple hours or something, unless there was like a time lapse that we missed yeah. out on, but <laughs> they didn't want us to watch the 500 year journey back. Right. But like everybody who was in the movie was still alive and looked the same. So it didn't take more than a year, you know? Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're out there chilling in what they're chilling in the nebula. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the, their spacecraft is the axiom. And then that was cool. Yeah, the, the nebula is super beautiful. And then they're like, oh, we're going home. And then boom, they were there. <laughs> yep, exactly. So like that kind of hyperspeed currently is absolutely not possible. I've actually read up on this a little bit. And some scientists say that in order for hyperspeed to be possible, we would have to harness negative mass, which is just a concept that I don't understand. I saw that and I was like, what do you mean negative <laughs> mass? You'd have to you have know? negative mass so that you don't have an infinite momentum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was just like, what? Um, so unless Wally somehow, uh, or unless in Wally they somehow achieved negative mass, um, highly doubt that that type of travel is possible. Also in the movie, if I'm remembering remembering this correctly when they start accelerating all of the humans get like pushed back against the wall yeah yeah if they were to go to like almost light speeds like they would be they would be crushed it's a little morbid but they would be yeah like when you're in your car or like on a roller coaster you can feel that acceleration pushing you back Mm -hmm. um like that would it would be like that they would be experiencing i don't know millions of g's i don't know that it depends on how fast they accelerate but it would be yeah, they would be they would, would be crushed. Be it would would not be a Disney movie anymore or a Pixar movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dude, yeah, I I get that. So yeah, that's kind of faster than light travel in a nutshell. I'd say um, passengers didn't technically have faster than light travel. I just totally forgot about that. So um, their type of travel, other than like the hibernation pods, fairly possible. They would have to be going real fast though. Um, and then Wally just not possible. Yeah, I think it's good to talk <laughs> about one that is somewhat correct and one that is absolutely not correct. It's yeah. Nice to have that comparison. Now, on to my favorite topic and the last topic we're going to talk about today. This is dying stars and black holes. Um, so... Would you like to start with sunshine or would you like to save that for last? Hmm. We can, we can start with sunshine. Okay, cool. It'll be a good good introduction. What I know of sunshine is um, our sun is dying. The core is cooling down. And in order to keep it alive, they plan to uh, go to the sun and use a giant nuclear bomb to reignite its core. And that is, that is correct. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Cool. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of cool things in this movie that I want to mention. Uh, the first thing that I want to mention is that the... Oh, great, I'm forgetting the name of it. The spacecraft in 
in the movie is named after yeah i'm forgetting the name it's a, a, a ancient greek story where it's this character that has Icarus. wings of, of yeah icarus thank you um so the spacecraft are named icarus and this is a a, a greek figure a greek mythological figure um who had wings constructed of of wax and and feathers um and they were told to not fly too close to the sun uh, yeah. or else the the wax would melt and and their wings would be destroyed and they were told to not fly too low close to the ocean because the ocean would uh, would wash away their their wings so they were told not to fly too high or too low and Icarus one day flew too high um, the the wings melted and they ended up falling to their death um, and I thought that that was a, a really neat name um, for the spacecraft that you know was flying to the sun and is gonna essentially collide with the sun and, and try and reignite it um, so I thought I like that ode to to Greek mythology. And it's something that we yeah. still do a lot with, you know, like the Artemis missions that NASA's yeah, working on right now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, so, and and the Apollo missions. So we uh, we like, in, or astronomers and and people in space like incorporating mythology and, and little fun snippets like that in as much as And just can. like deities all across the world, you know, because mm-hmm. like the dwarf planets are named after like, uh, Hawaiian deities, Chinese yeah. deities, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. And so uh, the planets are named after Roman gods and goddesses other than Uranus, which is a Greek god. So mm-hmm. it was cool that they kind of like stuck within that realm. Yeah. I also love that like constellations, like they have so many different origins. Oh, like, yeah. The, the ones that we use here and, and are are um, used by the International Astronomical Union are um, – mostly all Greek, um, but everyone has access to the night sky. So different cultures see different constellations all, all over the place, which I think is really neat. There's different stories for every set of stars that you see. Yeah. But anyway, we, we diverge um, <laughs> back to uh, back to sunshine. Yeah. So yes, the premise is they're, they're flying the spacecraft um, into the sun to reignite it. Well, is this mm-hmm. something that is even going to be a problem for us realistically? The answer is no. Our sun is in like the main sequence of our lifetime. Um, it's it's going to live in the main sequence for another 5 billion years. And yeah. as it lives, it's actually going to get slightly bigger and slightly hotter. So it's not going to die. It's actually going to produce more and more energy. Um, and then in about 5 billion years, that's when the sun's going to start to die. Um, and we'll have many other problems to worry about. Um, such yeah. as our, our sun turning into a red giant star and consuming the earth. So yep. <laughs> um, this 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 movie isn't based off of a realistic premise for our sun. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it could work for another star, um, but yeah. but it's, this isn't going to happen to our sun. Um, so like the majority of stars, once their core starts cooling down, like you're already you're already not going to have a great time because it's going <laughs> to yes. expand and then it's going to get a little too toasty on your planet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stars are big and hot and powerful and mm-hmm. we are at the mercy of the star. Um, totally. So yes, totally. The, the, the premise of this movie is not accurate, but we will, we'll, we will go on. So the, yeah. the physicists and engineers on earth decide that we're going to try and reignite the sun by, sending essentially a nuke uh, using all of the, the material we have on Earth, all the, the nuclear reactors and, and all the nuclear material we can send. We create a giant nuke, and then they're going to shoot it into the sun. 
um, to reignite it. And my thought on what would happen with this is as soon as that nuke hits the surface of the sun or even gets close to the sun, it's going to go off because the sun yeah. is extremely hot. Yeah, um, it wouldn't even hit the sun because the corona, the outer space of the sun is millions of degrees hotter than the surface of the sun. So it's going to go off well before it even hits the sun. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're, they're flying close to the sun. They're going to send it off into the sun and then it's immediately going to explode and not work. <laughs> so I'm like this movie, it, it was a very beautiful movie. Um, there were a lot of like mm. dramatic scenes, um, but That's in nice. terms of the, the scientific realism, it was, <laughs> it was not there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I feel that. And um, speaking of stars dying, you know, their their cores cooling down, outer gas is expanding um, in passengers. They pass by a star that explodes. Mm -hmm. And like one of the thoughts I had is, could you even be that close to a star when it dies? Because they're like right next to it. <laughs> I feel like that ship is going to be obliterated if they're right next to it. Yeah. And I feel like this works well with with sunshine. You know, they get close to the the star and they have the solar shield and then there's this scene where part of the solar shield gets broken so they have to angle the ship so that, that that part of the solar shield isn't in the sun so that they can go and repair it and when they're doing that part of the spacecraft gets exposed to the sunlight and it like instantly combusts and instantly burns up yeah um so i feel like in passengers if they were to get that close to a star uh and like just a normal star not even a dying star yeah they would be it would be in some serious trouble of, of getting burned up by solar radiation and everyone getting cancer. But then you yeah. add in that it's a, a dying star and it's it's pretty violent. It's emitting a lot yeah. of radiation. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. It would it would not be a place you want to be. Yeah. So I thought that scene was probably the most unrealistic scene in Passengers. Because I feel like a lot of the stuff in Passengers could possibly be... Um, like achievable because a lot of it was like the tech and everything. Mm -hmm. um, also tech going haywire, which like that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they were like that close to a star when it died, I don't think that would ever be achievable, you know, just because mm -hmm. of like how much radiation the star would be blowing off, how big it would get. The shockwave of the explosion would throw them way off course if their ship wasn't just straight up obliterated, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and the same thing happens in Treasure Planet. They're right next mm -hmm. to a star when it dies, and that one doesn't just die; it also collapses and becomes a black hole. <laughs> yeah, and a supernova and explosion. That has so many implications, you know, because you've got the initial blast of the supernova. You've got gases being forced outwards at extremely fast speeds. Yeah. Then you have this baby black hole, very chaotic, spinning rapidly, very intense gravity. And it does show them getting sucked into the black hole, but then it shows them getting pushed out by waves of radiation that this black hole is letting off. I don't think black holes can do that. Um, I'm pretty sure that that is not something a black hole does. Um, I know they let off small amounts of radiation with like Hawking radiation, mm -hmm. but I don't think that they would let off a tide that intense that they could just ride it out of the black hole. Because once you enter into a black hole, you have to go over twice the speed of light to escape that black hole's pull. 
like this, the escape velocity of a black hole is like 6.27 times 10 to the eighth meters per second squared. And, uh, the speed of light is three times 10 to the eighth meters per second squared or meters per second. Why did I say squared? Uh, <laughs> you're, you're good. I'm like, that's acceleration. Hold up. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, that's just not possible whatsoever. Like, I don't care what kind of tech you have, unless you have tech that allows you to go over twice the speed of light, you are not getting out of there. Well, black holes are kind of, they're interesting too, because you don't necessarily experience the intense gravitate the intense gravity unless you get really close to it. So like, for instance, if our sun were to turn into a black hole today, it were to, to turn into a black hole um, with the mass of our sun, we wouldn't experience a difference in gravity here on earth because we're far yeah. enough away that we're not going to get sucked into it. We're just going to keep orbiting around the black hole. Now it would be bad because we wouldn't get any more light from the sun. Um, but you only really experience these intense gravitational forces if you get really, really close to the black hole, which mm -hmm. in this case they are, and they would probably yeah. be sucked in. But yeah, that whole scene was, was a little wild because you do have the supernova explosion, which is one of the most violent things that we see in the universe. You have this massive star that explodes. And as you said earlier, it's, it sends off, I like to call it its stellar guts or the, yeah. the, the components of the star that aren't pulled into the black hole. It sends it off at relativistic speeds, at speeds yeah. almost the speed of light. So they would get hit with this super hot gas, which you know could potentially propel them away from the, the, the black hole, um, but they would probably be incinerated. Um, these supernova explosions also give off a ton of gamma rays. That's how we detect a lot of them is we see these gamma ray bursts coming from different areas in, in the universe. And we look there and we see a, a star that's reached the end of its life. And yeah. gamma rays are like the highest, highest energy form light that we know exists. I mean, gamma rays are what are thought to have turned the Hulk into the Hulk. So yeah, um, yeah not, it would not be a, a place you'd want to be. I think we went over some really great topics today. What do you think? Yeah, a lot of good. <laughs> yeah. A lot of good and movie interpretation. I would love to continue this conversation, but we are super out of time. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but um, I hope all of our listeners enjoyed this and uh, hopefully you guys learned something about um, maybe some of your favorite movies. You know, I don't know what kind of movies y'all watch, but I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably into sci-fi. So, um, but yeah, I um, want to thank you, Matt, for being on this uh, podcast with me. I'm sorry we had to reschedule it like five different times. No, you're uh, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, to all our listeners out there, I would like to remind you guys that we have a Discord channel and a Twitter. You can see some cool behind the scenes content. You can also use the hashtag AskStarStuff or shoot a tweet over to StarStuffPod. Um, we also have uh, a questions chat in our Discord now where you can ask us any questions that you might have about life, the universe and everything. So, uh, yeah, thanks for being on, Matt. I had a blast. I hope you did, too. I sure did. Awesome. Bye. Bye. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.